October of 2016, I was diagnosed with bowel cancer. So I went in for surgery for that. And the first operation I had had a leak, which then led to a second operation, causing me to have a major stroke. There was wires around me, there was loads of people around me and nurses, and that's when I thought, well, something's going on here. It was one pinnacle moment, actually, in this gym where I saw a football in the far left-hand corner. And I just remember seeing that ball, and I, it was maybe a subconscious thought, but I thought, I'm going to kick that ball one day. With the exercises that I've been doing every day, maybe two, three times a day, 10, 15 minutes, you're just building new brain paths or reigniting the old ones and you're developing all the time. You're never going backwards, you're always going forwards, physically and mentally as well. Hello, this is Stroke Stories, and I'm Mark Goodyear. In the UK, there are more than 100,000 strokes every year, about one every five minutes. One million stroke survivors in the UK need post-acute care. And although the biggest steps in recovery are usually in the first few weeks after a stroke, the brain's ability to rewire itself, known as neuroplasticity, means that it's possible that a full recovery can take months or even years. A stroke is often sudden, it can be devastating, and while the health services are amazing with diagnosis and treatment, after the stroke, patients sometimes find that there aren't enough resources to help them during their recovery. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we hear from Chris Curry, a city worker and sports fan who suffered a stroke during a life-saving cancer operation at the age of 36. I was very fit and active, playing sports three or four times a week. I was working up at the city, so my work was very fast-paced. And I was just a family guy, always sociable. In October of 2016, I was diagnosed with bowel cancer. So I went in for surgery for that and the first operation I had had a leak, which then led to a second operation, causing me to have a major stroke in that second operation. So I was then kept in ICU because it was a long operation, it was six hours, because they had to go back inside and open me right up. So it was a long operation, so I was in ICU overnight, and then I woke up the next day, and that's when they realized I had a stroke because my left side was not moving. The only point that I do remember is basically being blue-lighted to Kings from the Princess Royal Hospital in Alpington. So I remember being in the trailer and going into the ambulance, going down the steps, and just I felt, well, what's going on? At that point, I didn't realise what had happened until I got into the ambulance. And that's when I thought, well, the nurses are around me, and there was a nurse to my right-hand side. They were trying to talk to me. I remember voices and people talking and stuff, but I don't remember too much initially until we then got approaching towards Kings in Denmark Hill. I'm very familiar with that area. I used to play football around there at Dulwich Hamlet. But uh, as we got closer, I knew there was a McDonald's as we got closer. So I said to the nurse next to me, can we stop at McDonald's? And she said, Chris, I don't think we'll be able to do it. You've just suffered a stroke. At that point, I then knew that I had a stroke. And what that meant to me, it's hard to know at that point. But it was nice that I was actually, I said something considering what had just happened. I was in hospital at King's for seven weeks till the 20th of December 2016. But up until that time, 
I guess for me, realizing actually that the severity of the stroke, especially in ICU, uh, there was wires around me, there was loads of people around me and nurses, and that's when I thought, well, something's going on here. But I do remember actually, um, I was so thirsty, and I just asked for a drink, but because of I needed to have a swallowing test, because they didn't allow me to just drink water, I had to have these sponges, which were just full of obviously absorbing with water. I must have had about 10 or 15 of them, because I was so thirsty, so dry. At that point, I just thought, right, I need something more than this. And I said to the nurses, can I have a Calippo? And they said, yeah, you can. So I, my mum went outside to the local shop, got a Calippo, and I just thought, wow, I can have a Calippo, this is incredible. But the nurse actually said, to me and my parents, they said, just be careful how much Chris consumes because the Calippo, we still don't know what he's swallowing's like. And then the minute I tasted that Calippo, I just thought, I don't really care at this point how much I can have. I just need a sufficient amount to maybe just think, wow, I've actually drunk something and it feels like I'm eating because I was very malnourished as well. But having the Calippo is just, yeah, to explain what a Calippo tastes like in, I guess in winter time, it's kind of surreal because it's normally a summer thing, but when you're just craving just a taste of anything, especially fruit, I guess, because it was a strawberry one, I just thought, wow, this tastes good. And then they just said, Chris, just be careful what you're taking. And I was like, okay. So then I gave it back to them and we stopped. Chris was moved to the intensive care unit where he began to focus on getting back what he had lost. The ICU was just a case of me thinking, right, I just want to get out of the bed now. And I remember being craned. So what they would do to hoist me out of the bed. And they said, Chris, we can hoist you out of the bed just to see what you feel like. And I got out of the bed and I was craned out of the bed. I sat on a seat for about 40 minutes and then I said to the nurse, I need to sit back in the bed. So I went back in the bed. Then my parents would come around and my brother came around in the evening. Because I couldn't speak, I had to write down what happened to me. So they wrote back to me and said, oh, Chris, what did you do today? And I just said, I've been craned out of the bed. It was a case of just hearing loads of people around, noises and stuff, and just thought, wow, this is, this is quite serious. And just people coming in and out, different faces of my family, and I just thought, wow, that's my auntie Irena, or it could be my sister-in-law, Sasha, who flew over from America, my wife's sister. And it just felt, all those faces that I saw and just thought, wow, they're there and it's, I'm here and it's incredible. And then they said, okay, we're going to send you up to high dependency. So we went upstairs and I was there for about six weeks. So a week in ICU then the six weeks upstairs. But at that point, I guess it was a case of having to wash. My mum and my wife washed me, gave me a bed bath, which was just a nice feeling considering what happened. And then as time went on, I went into like a, my own room, they had a single room for me. And then with the physio, it was a case of doing exercises in the bed. And then there was one point that they said, right, Chris, we're gonna try and get you out of the bed, which they did. And then they took me down to the neuro gym. And I remember just going through in the wheelchair to the gym, because I was quite weak as well. So my hemoglobin, my blood levels were so low. So I was trying to stand up, I was fainting. As time went on, I was seeing other people, they're different ages to me. It was younger patients as well, but older as well. And I just thought, we're all in this together. What they see, they can learn from me, and what I see from them, I can learn from them. And every time I went to the gym, I just thought, right, I'm gonna just keep going and just remember all the things that you used to do before. And slowly, slowly over time, you will get back as much as you can, what you lost. But actually, there was one pinnacle moment actually in this gym where 
I saw a football in the far left-hand corner and I just remember seeing that ball and I just maybe a subconscious thought, but I thought I'm going to kick that ball one day. I was then transferred from there to a rehab centre where I was for six weeks. But at the rehab centre, it was more a case of getting back into a normal routine and trying to get your brain into a routine, like getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, having breakfast, going to the gym. Because at the weekends, I'd come home. Home for me then was actually going back to Alpenson Hospital, so Ontario Rehab Centre. I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I need to be home. That's where my therapy and my rehab will obviously develop and get better. I think being home made me feel mentally, cognitively stronger. I was discharged from Alpington Hospital on 31st of January 2017. And then I had six weeks of at-home physio, so he was learning how to use like the quad stick. But I was still basically in a wheelchair as well, so it was trying to get me out of the wheelchair. But just trying to learn just normal things that I would have done before, which I found quite difficult at first. It was repetition after repetition. It was tough with the at-home therapy because when after six weeks when they left, I still had outpatient physio where my mum would take me and my wife would take me to physio, but then I still had to do the stuff at home as well to motivate myself. Although Chris had to face two serious illnesses in less than a year, his family were there with him every step of the way. I think it was a shock to them because they know what the old Chris was like before, very active, sporty like driving as well so that independence was taken away and now I was now being supported by them which I guess they didn't expect would happen to go into an operation and come out with another thing as well but they've been fantastic the whole way through it and as I've slowly got stronger they're seeing the old Chris come back I guess the old Chris will not come back 100% but I think more repetition of work I do in the fitness that I'm doing now we're seeing more of the old Chris come back step by step. So the old Chris is still there, it's just trying to reignite the old Chris to become an old and new Chris together. When I woke up and found out, like now knowing that I've had the stroke, it was a huge shock to me, but I just thought, there's only one person that can actually get you through this. Obviously you have to do it. The more I was at home and just looking at the TV, seeing people, even looking out the window, people playing football, people going to work, and I just thought I was doing that before. The thing is, what I see as well is that the more you keep doing of what you was doing before and just keep yourself active, you will, in time, get back to what you lost. For me, it's a case of, and I've always said this in my posts that I've done, is you have to accept to adapt to move on. And it was, yeah, it was a huge shock to me, the stroke, but over time, I've learned so much to just be kind to yourself, and just work at it and in time you will get back what you've lost. It just takes time and repetition and trying to get out of the house, it's so important because if you stay in looking at four walls, you're just going to get depressed. But if you get out of the house like you used to, that's when things slowly start to come back to you and then you just think, my old world is there. i just got to get out there and get back what you've lost. It's so important to do that because it's easy to sit indoors and just feel sorry for yourself but if you think i will get better it will come back to you yeah i've had lows and highs and stuff but mainly i've found a happy medium and actually just thought right i'm content i'm just accepting what's happened and yeah i do get down but as time goes on and the depression side of it is slowly going away and stuff but when something happens like this so traumatic is that you learn how to actually deal with it right i need to do this if i feel low now What's going to make you happy? What's going to make you happy is trying to just 
maybe get out of the house or just read something that you like reading or doing something that makes you feel happy and or even watching something. You have to keep going and never give up and that's always been my philosophy from actually knowing that I had the stroke and that's how far I've come from when I initially found out I had the stroke up until now where I do feel with the exercises that I've been doing every day, maybe two, three times a day, 10, 15 minutes, you're just building new brain paths or reigniting the old ones and you're developing all the time. You're never going backwards, you're always going forwards, physically and mentally as well. Chris is a keen sports fan and had played football for Brentford FC in his teens and he drew on those experiences to drive himself during recovery. I'm so competitive with myself, obviously, with the sport and stuff. I was more sport-based-minded goals at first. It was like, I want to kick a ball again. So when I was at King's, I saw that football. And seven months later after that, with all the exercises that I was doing, building up my legs again, my, my main goal for me is to kick a ball again. And how am I going to kick that ball again is by doing all the exercises that your physio gives you, but on top of doing your, your own ones as well. But it obviously took a long time to kick a ball, but trying to just move your arm again, you're moving your leg, that took time, that's repetition again. And they were like goals, small goals, but for me, big goals as well. My physio said to do this, but when they're not here, what are you gonna do? You're gonna sit there and wait for them to come back next week, or will you do the exercises that they've given you? So yeah, it was weekly goals to think, they've given me this exercise to do. Chris, you can continue to do it, and you will see this improvement if you do it. So when they left, I was doing that maybe two, three times a day, five, 10 minutes, repetitions, 10, 15, 20, and just working at it. And I think that's what you need to do. It's important to set yourself a goal because if you set yourself a goal, you think by the end of the week, wow, I've achieved this, and make a list of what goals you want to set. I want to do this, I want to move my leg this way, or I want to move my arm this way. And if you do, you feel like you've fulfilled your week and you've achieved something. Because if you don't set yourself goals, you get to the end of the week and you just think, what have I done this week? And that's when you get low and depressed. And I've had that. There's times where I've got to Friday and thought, I haven't done anything this week. And that's when you'd have to then try and counteract that thought and think, right, I'm going to do this. And by the time it gets to Friday, I'm going to feel, wow, I've had a great week. I've achieved this movement. I've achieved this. I'm doing this now. And... Yes, it's very important to set yourself goals. It's paramount, it definitely is. And I've found that through all my recovery I've done, is that if you set yourself goals, you definitely cognitively just feel so much better. You feel mentally healthier. And it's important to feel like your mind's achieving something. And if you're feeling that way, you can just keep going on and your recovery gets better and better. The first time I kicked the ball was actually with my mum and dad and my family and my wife. We was at Centre Parks actually at Woburn. We brought a ball with us and it was my brother and my dad are in the garden. We were outside and my brother was putting these little like workouts for me and then there was the ball and I said to him, let's see if we can try and kick this ball for the first time. So, because I had the stroke on my left, my brother was supporting me on my left and I remember my dad was in front of me, he had the football. So I was putting full weight on my left leg and this was April 2017 six, seven months after the stroke. And I just remember my dad, he said, Chris, are you ready? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. And I put that full weight on that left leg, thinking, okay, hopefully I've just got to test myself. And if you want to kick the ball, you've got to put full weight and trust that your left leg's not going to give in. You've still got the muscle memory there. It will support you, just have confidence. And my dad threw it. 
I connected with the ball and I kicked it back to my dad who's followed me all my career in playing football when I was younger for him to throw it to me and my brother on my left side and to come through and kick it with the right was just that was the biggest goal I could never thought I would achieve but I just thought I've got to kick it and that subconscious thought I said when I was in Kings and luckily seven months later with all the physio work I was doing and repetition of the workouts like I said it was just the best moment I just thought wow I've actually kicked a ball it's just incredible moment for me and the family as well to see it it was it was really big Chris has had to display incredible determination in the face of both cancer and a devastating stroke that left him completely immobile. He's been through an incredibly tough few years, but his positivity is plain for all to see, as he has battled to gain physical fitness and independence against all the odds. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Chris tells us about getting on a plane for the first time since his stroke. So when I was on the plane, at first I felt a little bit anxious and then it just it went by just thinking of what I'm doing and actually going to Greece last 2018 it was in June. To do that was just which was huge for me. And he emphasizes how important it is to ask for help. Things never happen overnight, but the more people you speak to, the more support you get, you will improve. And even if you feel that there's no improvements, you're you're seeing they will come. Let's hear how the Stroke Association helped Chris during his recovery. The Stroke Association have been fantastic support for me and I wish that we reached out to them sooner because that's the point of contact for any person that has a stroke. When you leave hospital, make sure that you get in contact with the Stroke Association because for when I initially spoke to them, my mentor helped me so much any problems that I had, any speech problems if I had them, when I was feeling low, and they are the best people to speak to in terms of the support, in terms of the uh, psychological support, because they're just someone there to speak to on a weekly basis, and they can help you with any problems that you have, anything you want to achieve, goals, etc. but just someone to reach out to and speak to. So whenever you feel low, don't just sit at home and just think, Oh, I feel sorry for myself, just make sure that you get someone or someone you know or a friend or if there's a family member and just speak to the Stroke Association because they are a great support network for when you leave hospital because initially we didn't because I was obviously in hospital anyway uh, but when we left hospital and we came home and in time we got in contact with the Stroke Association and ever since to this day I still have that contact with them and relationship where if I have any doubts or any problems I have, I can reach out to someone there and just talk to them. It's so important to talk with stroke. I know some people obviously find it difficult with speech and phasia and stuff like that, but it's important to just get someone to help you. If you need that help, always ask for it. Don't just suffer in silence because it's easy, it's a cliche to say it, but it's so important to get that support. And the Stroke Association for me have been Fantastic, they really, really have. And there's other support groups out there as well, but the Stroke Association for me have been fantastic. And I've done some work with them and helped them and just trying to get the awareness out there for stroke, that it's important to to reach out and just and ask for help when you need it. Don't just suffer in silence. As well as wanting to play football, 
Chris also had the ambition to be able to get back on a plane again. One of my goals was to go back on holiday. What did it feel like to go on a plane again? My therapist actually helped me a lot with actually getting my mindset in the right. So I said to him, Harry, I want to go on a plane again, but I still feel a little bit anxious. Will I be okay? What will happen? And he said, Chris, you just have to think of the purpose of being in an aeroplane and thinking, why are you going on the plane? What are you doing on the other end? You're going to have drinks, you're going to relax on the beach. And you get my headspace in the positivity of thinking, right, I'm going to fly on a plane again, but you're going on holiday to relax. So when I was on the plane, at first I felt a little bit anxious, and then it just it went by just thinking of what I'm doing. And actually going to Greece last 2018, it was, in June, to do that was just which was huge for me. But then one of my biggest goals as well, my friend actually lives in Dubai. I went there three years ago. And I thought, right, to finish 2018 off, could I go on my own? And my family were like, Chris, I don't think that's sensible for you to do it. Everyone's anxious because obviously I'm traveling on my own. They're used to looking after me. But as the independence come back, I thought, all right, I'm going to try it and see what happens. And, and I went there and nothing happened. And I went away and saw him. He looked after me and stuff. And it was just like old times again. But it's a case of just doing what I used to do without even thinking about it. And the stroke obviously affected me. There's limitations, but you have to just think, I can do this. And if you say, that's a huge goal for me. To finish 2018 by going to see him, you're obviously in a hotel on your own and he's not there all the time. He's at work and he see you in the evening. During the day, things are slightly different, I guess, on the beach, but you just adapt to actually just be on my own with no one around and getting breakfast for yourself, I guess, and trying to do all those things. It's hard at first, but then as time goes on, when you're there, you start getting stronger. And through all everything that I've learned, I guess, with my sporting background, but obviously with having the stroke, is that is to try and inspire people as well. The posts that I put on social media, I do a lot of posts to just not just help myself and, oh, this is what I've achieved. But with me, my philosophy in life is to give back. If you can give back to someone and they read your posts and they feel, wow, he's doing these exercises, he's doing this, this and this. I'm going to try and follow some of the exercises he's doing and just be inspired by his words and that's what I try to do. And I think with the posts that I do, I like to yeah, just get out there and speak to people and just tell them that you know there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And I've been doing some speaking as well for the Stroke Association, which, which was nice. We went to Wembley Stadium. So I'd done a talk on my stroke with the FA staff there. And to stand up there and just talk in front of everyone was just really, really nice. And I think that's more of what I want to do is to do a lot more speaking and just inspire people and just help people. But it's not just stroke as well, it's all setbacks. Finally, Chris believes that keeping active is the key to a successful recovery. The advice I would give people is to just keep yourself active, keep yourself mobile as much as you can. Be kind to yourself and just think to yourself, things will change. It definitely, definitely takes time. Things never happen overnight. But the more people you speak to, the more support you get, you will improve. And even if you feel that there's no improvements you're, you're seeing, they will come. What I've learned is that the small gains will then equal to the bigger gains and then reach out to people and just smile. It's so important to smile because we don't see it enough and 
with stroke, it's a long process. It is a long road, and I've found that even though it's been a couple of years for me, that's a short time. But and I've seen some good gains. I've seen gains where I've got frustrated, but you will get frustrated. But when you do get those frustrations, just learn that they will slowly, slowly go away, and they won't stay there forever. As long as you have that positive attitude and just think, like I said, be kind to yourself. And if you do get frustrated, you do just let it out. But just remember that things will definitely improve, and over time, you will see your old self. Chris's positivity and his willingness to help others is extraordinary. Given the run of ill health he experienced in 2016, but he's not stopping there. He's determined to get back to work and playing football in a team as soon as possible. If you're listening to this podcast because you've had a stroke, or somebody close to you has, and you'd like to learn more, search for the Stroke Association online. For a dedicated web page, search NHS Strokes. And if you're listening to our podcast on iTunes, we'd be grateful if you'd subscribe to the series and rate and comment, because that helps us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.